study with Xavier University's Institute for Spirituality and Social Justice. Graduate theology degrees and certificates available with online options. Tuition discounts for teachers, volunteers, and those in social or pastoral ministry. For more information, go to xavier.edu slash ISSJ. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. And it is great to be with you, Ashley. Yes, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, you know, feeling good uh, about spring, uh, feeling good about the drink we've got. Uh, Funny story about that coming up. um, (laughs) Let's just get to it. Don't make the people wait. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Um, So we're drinking uh, Logical Conclusion, which is a favorite beer of mine because it's from a brewery called Threes Brewing, and it's down the street from my apartment. Our guest this week for Signs of the Times, Father Jim McDermott, who you might have read in America and remember from this podcast. Uh, he requested beer and something dark, and I stopped at a bodega on my way into the office today, and I tried to find something dark, but literally all they had in the store were were IPAs, um, which is very Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> this is an IPA, but I think it's a little bit lighter than than other IPAs, so it's not too too bad. All right. So I hope you enjoy it. Cheers to Brooklyn. Cheers to Brooklyn. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, and who are we talking to this week? We have a great conversation this week with another bishop, Bishop William Walk of Pensacola, Tallahassee, which is just a great name to say. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll start there. Um, he's one of the younger bishops in the U.S., and and last year he put out a pastoral letter on evangelization that we saw, and we were like, we want to talk to this guy. Yep, and he's got an article in America about it um, and about you know what is evangelization, why it's so essential to the church's mission, and Frankly, why Catholics are not so good at it, especially when you compare to the efforts that our Protestant brothers and sisters make. Yeah. So that's a great conversation. We also have a great conversation in Signs of the Times, as you mentioned, with Father Jim McDermott. He's a Jesuit priest and our colleague here at America Magazine. And he wrote a piece for America titled, Catholics, Please Keep Wearing Your Masks. So we are going to dig into that command. <laughs> yes. So it's going to be an excerpted conversation. Uh, if you want to hear the full thing, you can head to patreon.com slash Media to support Jesuitical, and you're going to get access to that full conversation. And also, uh, Patreon supporters will remember that uh, they heard the conversation with Bishop William Walk early. So that's been out on there for about a month now. So really excited to release this to the full audience. So it's a great, great conversation. But before we get to all of that, we have a few words about our sponsor this week. In the 14th century, Catherine of Siena, a 28-year-old nun, wrote a bold letter to Pope Gregory saying, quote, Since Christ has given you authority and you've accepted it, you ought to be using the power and the strength that is yours. If you don't intend to use it, it would be better and more to God's honor and the good of your soul to resign. Cursed be you, for time and power were entrusted to you and you did not use them. Yeah. What's crazy is Catherine got away with sending that. Not only that, the Pope listened to her. Yeah. And we learned this amazing story from our favorite go-to place to learn, Wondrium. Wondrium gives you access to a huge selection of high-quality ad-free videos. Any topic you can think of, church history, cooking, uh, cryptocurrency, they have these areas presented by top experts. Yeah. I am 
you know, always on the go, especially now starting to travel a lot more, um, taking the subway into the office to record this. I love that the Wondrium app, I have the option to, you know, watch the video lectures or I can just listen kind of just like a podcast. And, you know, you, it's really easy to toggle between devices. I've got the app on my phone. I've got it on my smart TV. It's It's been really good. And you know, I, I've, I've been listening to uh, this amazing program that's part of the great courses called The Middle Ages Around the World. Yeah, we have learned about the religious struggles in what was supposedly the age of faith was not so peaceful. And not only in Europe, but also in the Islamic world and China. This this takes a very wide lens to the Middle Ages, which I usually think of as, you know, you know, knights and castles in Europe. Yeah. And, and there is some of that, but there's so much more too. And I love that I don't have to commit to screen time to learn something new with Wondrium. Uh, also that the information is fact-based, right? It's trustworthy. It's taught by professors and other top experts. And we know that you'll love Wondrium as much as we do. So what are you waiting for? You can sign up now through our special URL to start your free trial when you sign up for a discounted annual plan. Go to wondrium.com slash Jesuitical. Remember, that's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Jesuitical. And now we have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. And we are happy to welcome back Jim. Hi. Welcome back, Jim. Thank you so much. Um, really excited to get into this non, totally non-controversial topic with you. Um, <laughs> talking about masks and how Catholics should be thinking about the different varying rules that are going around. You know, last it was last week or a couple weeks ago, um, the... A court struck down the federal mask mandate for transportation, so like things like planes and mass mass transit. Right. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about that, and also the fact that it's really depressing that we can still say this is a news story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man, I wish it were not. Uh, but you wrote a you wrote a piece in response to this news and this uh, this court decision titled "Catholics, please keep wearing your masks." So could you tell us a little bit why you felt like you wanted to write this and what some of the arguments you laid out were? Sure. Uh, well, after that decision came out, I think everybody, myself included, were all sort of wondering, okay, so what do I do? And I think no matter what side of the quote unquote political divide you find yourself on, you're probably really sick and tired of wearing masks. Even if you feel like you have to, you probably are sick and tired of it. So how do we think about these things? And I don't know, for me, the thing that I went to is I looked at, okay, who are the groups that are still most affected, which are you know, if you're if you have a, a child under five, they still can't get a vaccine. So that's not just the children you're worrying about. It's their parents, because if the parents get it, then the kids get it. And then also people with autoimmune disorders, which was something we were talking about, you know, remember two years ago when it was all about protecting other people? Mm -hmm. Well, so I was just looking at, well, what's the situation been like for them and discovered that actually uh, they represent about three percent of the U.S. population. They represented almost half of the hospitalizations that happened through breakthrough cases. Which is pretty striking. It's terrible. Meaning they terrible. had the vaccine and they still yes, got COVID. Because their autoimmune dis uh, disorders are such that the vaccines don't work very well. So then when you, for me, when I look at things like that, I say, well, what's, if we talk about the common good, which is a you know very human principle, it's a very Catholic principle, how do we think about these things? You know, what role do those people's needs play in our sort of thinking about what we ourselves should do. So without the mandate, we, we now have the freedom to choose. And so that you mentioned, it's like, it's hard. It requires discernment. So like, how would you tell people or guide them through that in their own lives? So Jim Keenan is a, th a theologian at Boston College, a Jesuit priest, and he wrote a book called Virtues for Ordinary Christians. 
And he talks about prudential judgment as being the most important thing in, in any kind of moral decision making. And he sort of, he kind of lays it out like this. We're always deciding between three things, sort of the virtue of justice, which is sort of what is good for everyone in the abstract, uh, the virtue of fidelity, which is about our relationships with family and people we know and are close to, and then self-care, what is good for us. And so I think that what we're all trying to do is to, is to sort of sift through these three different things to tr what is the that's the question what is the prudential thing to do the thing that it's good for me and my self-care that is a role in this but also good for others and good for the people in our lives right i mean i think those are really helpful ways of framing it and uh, you know you want to give voice a little bit to i think it's totally normal for people to want to move past you know wearing a mask because it means that I, we this has been a long two years right and in some ways, like the, that we are still, you know, required to wear them in some spaces is, is a reminder that this isn't over. And so it's totally normal for people to kind of, if they hear that like competent authorities tell them they don't have to wear them anymore, to feel some sense of like relief or elation or, or, or what have you. I, I think that's totally natural. And I, I certainly feel it, right? Uh, uh, sidebar, I really didn't have a problem with wearing a mask until I started wearing glasses again. <laughs> Turns out they just we just never figured that out. We never went after that. We never tried to figure it out. That's terrible. I mean, yeah. I, like, oh my goodness, that would turn me, that would have turned me to an anti-masker, I think, <laughs> early on. Just, I was like, I can't see anything. Um, but it's it's such a tough scenario because it, as Ashley was saying, it brings the this realm of decision-making off of Public health authorities, or exactly, um, and into into everyone's individual conscience, which requires, I think, some some heavy lifting. That's that's exhausting. It's tough to do every in every single situation that you're in. I completely agree, I, and it's funny. I saw a story in the I think the New York Times today. Half of Americans have had COVID at this point, mm -hmm. and yeah. I think that plays a role in all this too. If you've we're had three it, for three around this table, right? <laughs> yep, yes. we are absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not not currently right now, but that we know. <laughs> and we're not saying I'm not saying that uh, having it is fine. Like you can have it and it can have a serious reaction. Can still have uh, whether it's hospitalization or brain fog, things that last for a while, uh, if not indefinitely. But for most people at this point who are vaccinated and boosted. It's like the flu, right? So there's all of that, I think, that factors in as well, where you think, I've had this. It was not that big a deal. I don't feel the need. Why do I have to still worry about these sorts of things, you know? Yeah, and particularly because, like, I mean, at least as I'm thinking about it, it's like we've got we've got vaccines. We have masks that protect the wearer. Um, we've, we've got antiviral pills that are yeah. becoming more and more available, and there's more and more programs that push those out. And so you start to wonder, okay, when, when is the off ramp coming, right? When when are we going to be able to, you know, mostly live our lives back to normal? Especially because it seems like life is pretty normal in most instances, right? I mean, you still hear these debates, you read these news articles. Um, you you know, we have to wear a mask on the subway here in New York City, but for for the large part, I mean, I don't know, things are things are getting back to normal. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And actually, it's funny. In a sense, I wonder if. This is the off-ramp moment in the sense that for most of these two years, we needed public health officials saying to us, do this, don't do that. And even that maybe could have even been stronger in, at times in the way that they did that, requiring certain things. But we're at a point, I think, in the pandemic where it is up to us. I actually think that's kind of great 
it's it's I think there's there's empower something empowering about that. I think the danger is that we we feel empowered and so we say just no. We don't have to think about it anymore. Just no. Whereas the 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 empowering the moral thing is to now ask the question. Somebody else was telling us what to do for the last two years. Now it's okay. What do I think? Which is more than again. It's not just like what would make me feel better and not be triggering for me. Although that's part of it. It's also what about the people in my life and the people around me that I don't even know. Those are, those should all be part of our decision making. That was Father Jim McDermott. Again, his article is Catholics. Please keep wearing your masks. We'll link to it in our show notes. And there's a longer conversation you can listen to about this very topic on our Patreon feed. You can find it there. But for now, stick around for our conversation with Bishop William Walk. Joining us from the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, is Bishop William Walk. Welcome to Jesuitical, Bishop. Hi. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, Bishop, thanks again for joining us. And we've got a lot we want to get into, but we want to start with the first question we ask uh, every bishop that comes on the show, which is just, could you tell us a little bit about what a typical day in your ministry looks like? Absolutely. And by the way, I don't know that there is a typical day, but generally I'll wake up um, and uh, get coffee and sit in my chapel. I I have the Blessed Sacrament in the next bedroom over from me. I'm in a house with just me and Jesus. And it's just awesome. I will sit there for, you know, 45 minutes in the morning praying liturgy of the hours, just meditating, thinking about the day. I love that. Um, don't tell my religious community, but I think I pray now more than I'm a bishop than I did when I was a Holy Cross priest uh, living in community, especially that time in the morning. So that's really important. And then, you know, I'll just, uh, I'm trying not to do anything on the way. It's just a quick trip to the office, just kind of think about the day and everything. And then when I get here, then it starts. I do not do email at night. I don't do it on the weekends. I don't do it when I'm outside of the office. It's not something I have to do. I That's impressive really work-life balance. I'm trying to get people to do this. This has changed my life. Many things have, mostly Jesus Christ. But but it really, it, you know, I used to stress over it. Or right before I'm going to bed, I would look at email. It would bother me, especially times when I get really difficult or negative email. And um, anyway, so when I get there, boom, I turn it on and then I start to deal with that. And, and I, I, I am also the kind of the administrator, the manager of the pastoral center. So I walk around and I talk to people in various offices and prayer during the day and I'm communicating with the priests constantly and writing things. So that's when I'm here. Otherwise, confirmations, you know, talks, dedicating churches, groundbreakings, I'm all over. I live in my car when I'm not here. So obviously now we have a pope that came from religious life, but it, it's not the most common route to becoming a bishop. So I'm wondering when you got the call, <laughs> what was your reaction? <laughs> it was crazy. You're right. I was a religious. I thought I'm fine. You know, I'm safe. Um, I'm safe. I, was in my, I was in my eighth year of serving as pastor of St. Ignatius Martyr, not Loyola, sorry, St. Ignatius Martyr of Antioch in Austin, Texas. And having just finished the eighth grade graduation mass, I had to go tinker with the um, air conditioning for the church because I had a wedding coming up and it wasn't working. So I was out there. I didn't, I don't know what I'm doing, pushing buttons. And the phone rang. It said Washington, D.C., unknown number. And I thought, well, this should be interesting. And just hello and hello. I am the apostolic nuncio to the United States. And I just, I had no idea what that was. I've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> nice. It's, it could have been. That's what I thought. So I just, I paused and I said, hello again. This is Father Bill. And he said, hello, I told you who I am. I said, sir, I don't know who you are, but I've got to go. And then he said, I have news from Pope Francis that will 
change your life. Oh my gosh. And oh my gosh. I mean, that's just a gut punch. And so I said, uh, what, you want names? I'll give you names. Why are you calling me? Why are you, you know? Why do you keep asking who I am? He said, I told you who I am. And then he, uh, he said, are you ready? And he said, do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit will take care of everything. And I just, then I, I think I blacked out. I don't know. And then he said, and it went like slow motion. Pope Francis has chosen you to be the bishop of the diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. My first thought was, man, that's a long sounding name. Why, could, why couldn't it be Ames or Boise or something? <laughs> um, and then I just, I asked a lot of questions and finally said, okay, if it would get you off the phone and it's good, you may tell no one for nine days. You know, so it's not nothing I dreamed about or wanted or hoped for. Well, yeah, because you, when you take vows as a religious, I mean, you, I mean, most priests are not supposed to be, you know, vying for promotion in the church, right? That's just right. sort of standard. But you know, it's kind of a possibility. But when you take vows as a religious, you're kind of committing to some sort of, of stable life. There's a stability in those vows, right? Absolutely. And when I hung up, that's when it really occurred to me that I have to leave the congregation. I still have the initials CSC for the Congregation of Holy Cross in Latin, but um, nonetheless, I'm a diocesan priest I've incarnated into this diocese. So I, there was a lot of grieving, actually. But it's been four and a half years. I think last year I stopped crying every night. And uh, <laughs> oh, now I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> what, are, what, are the, what are the main differences between, you know, being a parish priest and, you know, leading a diocese as a bishop? Right. Besides the obvious one, of course, is the, uh, you're, you're focused on a parish versus now here are 50 parishes and schools and hospitals and cemeteries and everything. Yeah. So that's, there's a that, that. But I think the other thing is this, in the parish, this is what I miss about being a pastor is you get to know the families really well. You know, some of the kids you may baptize, you see, get their first communion or come to your school or later on get married, you know, if you're there long enough. As a bishop, it's great. Yeah, I'm the pastor of 50 churches. I, I get it. That's fun. And it's great. When I show up, it's people, you know, go nuts. And I love it. Love it. And I know they love me, but it's just not the same. I don't have that connection, especially preaching week after week. I'm in a different place, so I can't build on a theme, you know, so that's that's a little challenging. I'm curious about, I've never been to Pensacola uh, or Tallahassee, and so I'm, I'm just curious about kind of the flavor of Catholicism you confronted when you went there, and if that was something like new that you had to get adjusted to. Thank you. Absolutely. And that's part of the, the, the my um, sharing the gift, the the pastoral letter, I put that in there because we are four and a half percent uh, Catholic in this area in Panhandle, only four and a half percent. Wow. You know, people think of Pensacola, Tallahassee, wow, Florida, you must, you know, a lot of tourists and everything. We do have some, but this is like the deep South. People call us um, lower Alabama, LA here, because <laughs> we're really part of Alabama. We're in the Bible Belt, the deep South. So we're in the minority. Because of that, though, I think our young people, especially our young Catholics, they, they know the faith. They have to defend the faith at school. Being, they're asked all the time if they're saved, if they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they, they know how to go beyond just yes or no. You know, they'll challenge back and, and live their faith well. Plus, there's also, especially among our many young priests, we have dynamic presbyterate here. There's, there's an element of, of uh, kind of a charismatic element as well. And um, that was new for me, you know, just kind of praying freely. You know, I, I have this conversation with one of our young priests, especially, and he'd say, Bishop, Bishop, I'm going to stop you right there. Can I just pray over you? And I said, well, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. We don't do and that in uh, South Bend. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so it's just, it felt like, you know, you get that, that sense of that grace being washed over you. And, and now I'm trying to do that as well. So it's, it's really, I, I love the church here. I'm biased. Maybe every bishop is, but it's the best diocese in the now, that's, this is a good grounding to get into your pastoral letter on evangelization. And I guess my first question is, 
why are Catholics so uniquely bad at this? Yeah, we, we, we talk about it all the time. It's like, oh, we've got the new evangelization. We've got to evangelize. But my, my experience, especially when you look at other, like our Protestant co-religionists are, I think, way better at this than Catholics are. And yeah. Even what you, have... you said about like feeling weird about being prayed over. Like mm-hmm. I certainly have that. And I, I, most Catholics I do. Like anything that public is kind of off-putting to us. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, you know, I think because this, well, Sounds bad, but we, we kind of got lazy, if you will. We, we, or, or I would say even a more positive thing would be just um, too comfortable with the fact that people come to us. We don't need to go out to them. I mean, people would move to a city and one of the first things they would do as a family member is say, okay, which parish is nearby, you know, and that's where they would go. It's just, you didn't have to go out. I, I call that like the church as like utility company or it's like we're like the electric company, right? It's just assumed that people will come to us for our services because we're the only ones that have it. Exactly. And now not only are they not coming, but they're leaving. They're going out faster than they were, they're coming in. And, you know, that's a harsh reality, but we have to remind people that that is the case. And so Pope Francis is right on. The Holy Spirit is just moving through him, of course, as he has through the past Popes as well, but just just getting us to go out, go out into the world. We just became complacent. Many centuries, we took care of ourselves mostly, and of course the poor and people who are sick and everything. But you know, we we built big parishes, big schools to take care of the Catholics, the immigrants coming to us. Now it's, it seems the spirit is moving us outward once again. So Pope Francis has talked about the difference between evangelization and and proselytizing. Like the latter has a bad connotation. Like you're not supposed to do that. Uh, but I don't know what what is the real what is the real difference on the ground between those two things? Is it a difference in tone, or are there more practical differences between the two? I think it is. I think it's, it's there's it's differences in tone. One, the proselytization might be, you know, I think people imagine someone standing on the corner, you know, uh, confess the Lord or go to hell or you're going to hell. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and that's that's more almost threatening people. You know, Jesus is coming. You better yeah. you know, repent now. And all of or in that. a Twitter feed, and not just a street corner. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. I like yeah. that. And there's a place for, for, for that kind of uh, evangelization. But but what, what Francis is talking about, and I believe this comes from the gospel, and that is more to share your faith instead of threatening people, you know, or just saying, we're saved, you're not. Sorry, I'm sorry we won't see you in heaven. When I wrote this pastoral letter, I told people, look, this is not going to be a, a great academic piece. I am not a great academician and, and intellectual, but I have joy and I have faith and I, and I want to inspire people to share their faith in very little ways and real ways as well. Actually, let's go into examples because it's it's always been very difficult for me to imagine because like in my experience, it's such like a case-by-case basis, like when it makes sense to to try and do something like this. But I'm wondering what you think are some like real practical, concrete examples of times where it's good to like to share share your faith with someone. Right. You know, and notwithstanding that we hear on Ash Wednesday when you pray, go to your room in silent in, in secret and everything. I think it is good. For instance, here's a tiny way. You know, if you go out with friends, you're you're out of the place, pray, you know, make the sign of the cross as you pray, grace over your your food. And then here's something a priest told me. We have a married priest, he's a convert. So he said when he and his family go to eat, you know, you order your food, the wait person brings the food, and then they they always stand around there like, Okay, everybody got everything? You need anything? He said, At that moment, someone in our family will say, Well, we're gonna pray grace. You wanna I don't know if you want at first, do you want to have any intentions or do you wanna join us? It is amazing. And I've done this. 
they either just jump right down, sit down with you, or they say, thank you so much. Please pray for my aunt or my mom or something like that. That's a tiny way. That's so different than my experience where it's like the waiter, someone comes and drops your food off and then you start praying and then the waiter like comes and she's halfway through asking you like, oh, can I freshen up your drink? (laughs) And you're halfway through the like, bless the Lord and these like gifts. And it's this, it's like this, oh God, like the actual engagement is way better. I think. Well, no, that's absolutely right. And, but I think this way you're, it's kind of more proactive. You just say, Hey, we're going to do this. Um, And that's a very little way, but here's another thing. Just, you know, if you're talking to a friend or someone you don't know, just say, you know, can I, I just, I'm really having a hard day. Would you pray for me? You know, or I notice you're having a, difficult time. Can I say a prayer over you right now? Can I just pray for you right now and say the Hail Mary or something like that? You know, again, very small ways. You mentioned being joyful before, and that's kind of how I've often thought about my own like way of evangelizing is, you know, I like make the choice every morning to try to be joyful. And it does, you know, sometimes it's not an easy choice. Um, But I, but the reason I do it is in, in part is, uh, you know, I want people to wonder why I'm so ha- like, what's making me so happy. But I think I I often stop there. Like I I, I have the attitude of like, OK, they're going to ask me I don't have to like invite them beyond just like being myself and waiting for them to, to ask the question like, oh, <laughs> like what what keeps you so happy? Right. You know, Mother Teresa has a great quote. I think it came from her. I used to help her sisters in Phoenix. I used to be uh, celebrate mass with them. And often I would say, as mother said, and I would say it, and one of the sisters would either shake her head or not. If she shake, if she shook her head, I knew that that was, it's just something we made up because she lived with her. <laughs> she would come up and she would say, no, she never said that. But this thing, I said it and she nodded. So apparently she did. Mother Teresa said, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and thus opened heaven for you, then maybe you should inform your face, which wow. I love, you know, it should show on our face. St. Paul said, you know, uh, put on love and tenderness and compassion and meekness. It's like basically wear your faith on your sleeve and, and also connected with this lastly. Um, sorry, I talk a lot and I've had a lot of coffee. Um, my new favorite quote, I put this in there is from, it's really kind of an obscure quote in Zechariah. Not many people quote Zechariah, but Zechariah chapter eight, verse 23, the, the prophet says the days are coming when 10 people, pagans, he said, 10 people from every nation will grab hold of every Jew by the shirt and say, take me with you, for I know that God is with you. I say, imagine if we lived in a way where, all right, I hope they don't grab our (laughs) blouse or shirt, whatever, but if they say, take me with you, there's something about you, something about this woman there, you know, God is with her. I want that. I think that's really what evangelization for me looks like. One thing I, I think about a lot is how, like, obviously, religious to be in in the real world in the sense that like if i'm going around all the time like i don't know just talking about religion without even being necessarily spiritual you get like tossed into like a like a a jesus freak kind of box and i think people are less willing to talk to you or hang out with you even someone said to me recently that i like hanging out with you guys because you're the normal catholics and Mm. i don't know where else to you know i don't really have experiences of those and that like i think that reputation has been able to like give me a chance to have conversations with people that i know i wouldn't have been able to otherwise since i'm a lay person in a lay vocation like uh, you know i don't have obvious signs like like i don't have a collar i don't have you know things that put people in the i'm immediately religious in in their brain is that a bad thing and is it, how do I go about navigating that? I love that you said, you know, kind of normalizing it or, or just you're the normal 
uh, Catholic, as they say. Um, and I think that's good, too. However, I think also that it's almost time that we, we need to see it more. We need to see uh, the faith, I think, or see what it means to people. If we walked around and said, we're just like everyone else, you know, Catholics, we, you know, you won't even notice us. Well, who wants that? You know, I think people are looking for something more, obviously, mystery and meaning. I am so fortunate, blessed. I wear the blacks every day and a big cross around my neck. So I get comments all the time. I was in the grocery store and this is funny that, you know, the young woman is uh, checking out my groceries and everything. And she just, she says, excuse me, can I, can I ask you a question? I'm smiling. Of course. I'm like, yeah, hello. And she said, what are you? <laughs> Which is awesome. Not who are you or what do you do? But I said, I just laughed. I said, I'm actually a Catholic bishop. And she's like, cool. All right. That's really awesome. And, and so many things happen to me in restaurants, uh, in uh, grocery stores, uh, planes. You know, every time I walk on the plane, it just happened last week. I mean, every time someone will say, oh, thank God. Now I feel safe, which yeah. is really funny. You know, I mean, of all this negative stuff we hear about uh, the bishops and clergy and the church, I don't find that, you know, at least to my face, obviously, they're, they're saying things, but people stop me and they say, can you pray for me or just thank you for being here or can I take a picture with you? I mean, it's there, there is this this desire for something else, some, some connection with the divine and, and we can be a sacramental. One thing I wanted to ask about, because you kind of alluded to kind of like the toxic discourse that can happen between Catholics, like there are a lot of Catholics saying bad things about Pope Francis, about their fellow Catholics. And I don't know, I can sometimes have the feeling of like, we need to get our own house in order before we're trying to like, go out and, and invite people more in to see this mess. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And I think that's, that's a great way to kind of just bring it back to that. Like, right, you know, people will come up to me. And um, again, a lot of people are very positive everything. But, you know, the people who want to talk to me after mass or a gathering usually have something to tell me. And now we're just, we live in such a time when people are so outraged that they'll just come up and now they just say words. They don't even, they're not even able, they're so mad. You know, they just like Biden and Trump and uh, vaccines and mandates and masks and uh, Pope and you. And, and I'm like, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, how are you doing? How's your, how's your walk with the Lord today? No, you're not listening to me. I'm so mad at this or that. I'm saying, uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Whew. And I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be flippant, but I just say that none of that really affects you every day. But are you praying with your family? You know, how are you doing it? You know, tell me about the, what's good about life or the faith. And it does arrest people. They, they stop for a moment. And they're like, yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe I am. I'm too focused on those things. I'm like, yeah, turn off, turn off the news. Don't just step away from, you know, the phone for a few hours, just live and God is trying to to touch your heart, trying to speak to you at this very moment, but you're so outraged about everything else happening out there. We can't hear that. So. Pope Francis talks a lot about listening in, in evangelization. You mentioned people that are kind of passing through on the way out of mass and are really angry about stuff. But uh, if we've got you know people close in our in our inner circle, what does it mean to to listen first before you share your faith? It, Talk about arresting that, that that really is jolting. If you say, you know, tell me what's going on or tell me about your walk with the Lord. You know, I, it's just people are not expecting that. We're not expecting anyone to ask us how we're doing or, or you know, to, to listen to us. But if we want to share our faith, I think that's a good way just to say, hey, um, I know you go to church or you mentioned going to your youth group or your, your whatever service on Wednesday night or something. Tell me about that. What about people who are, you know, 
even further on the margins that, you know, <laughs> asking them how their, their their walk with the Lord is, they're, they're going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because Pope Francis has, does want us to reach reach those people who, who are, you know, alienated or estranged from the church right now during during this synod process over the next few months and years. So I mean, like, thinking like former Catholics. Yeah, former Catholics. Like... And people who have like real anger and pain yeah. when it comes to their relationship with the church. How how do you personally and how should the church be listening to them? Yeah, I think um, first to listen to their stories, because some of them, you know, are, there's, they're painful, you know, why something happened to them. Um, certainly the most horrific would be, you know, an abusive situation or something like that. But for many, it was just being dismissed or being yelled at in the confessional when they were, you know, 50 years ago or something like that, you know. So really to just listen, I, I try to listen as a bishop to people. I meet with victims of, of abuse and, and other things and just you just can't say anything you just listen and honor that but otherwise I, I think just a- asking people leading questions like what gives you hope you know or what's what what's one great thing that you've experienced lately in life you know it may be nothing to do with religion you know as far as they're concerned you know it's a family reunion or whatever what's interesting is I, I feel like one of the reasons that gives Catholics a lot of anxiety is that they feel like they're personal representatives of the of the church, and we are we're pretty. I don't know. You can. There's a lot of fear in that. In that, like, I don't know. What, I don't know what to say. I'm not going to know how to. I don't know all the answers. You know. Oh, can I just can I just come take you to Father, and he'll you know answer your questions or whatever. But do you think there's a sense that we need to? This is a leading question, but like recover our own like sense of of ministry or our own you know priesthood of baptized believers to be able to like be in the in, in in our in our families in our schools in our workplaces in our in the public square and, and you know represent the faith absolutely I, and believe it or not i feel that way at times you know i'm a bishop and people are like oh great now you are like part of the magisterium i have this question they ask and i'm like <laughs> oh no please be easy please be really easy um but i do say this and i think we need to oh, empower sounds funny just remind people each other you are an expert uh, of the faith in you, the way you've experienced it. You're an expert. If you just share your, you know, you can say, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about the Pope really, or my bishop or what, you know, but, but I can tell you this, I used to pray the rosary every day with my family. I used to go to church with them every Sunday. And that meant the world to me. We're still very close. We're not all perfect Catholics, but, you know, to share your example, I think that's always, nobody's going to say, you know, I take issue with that, or you're wrong about that, you know, I think it's always good to share that with other people. Sidebar, when did we get to the point where it felt like, because I feel like all of us have this experience where we feel like we have to have a perfect understanding and assent to every single like line and subline item in the catechism. And uh, like otherwise, we're, we're somehow outside of of the communion of believers. I, is, is that a particularly like American neurology or a modern neurology. I just don't it's understand. I don't know, but I have a great example. Um, and that is this, uh, you know, if you, if, if, if you wanted to tell someone about a great, uh, I don't know, let's say restaurant, great restaurant, you know, man, you just, you gush about it, right? You're like, Oh, first of all, that you've got to try the calamari. Oysters are awesome, shrimp, you know, and everything. But then, oh my gosh, you've got to try this. And the ambiance is really neat. I just like it because it just feels good. You go on and on. You're not going to say, 
but I haven't memorized the menu yet and I don't know the manager, so I can't really say anything about it. No, <laughs> but we do that with our faith. It's really funny, you know, we're like, yeah, I don't, I haven't memorized the gospel. I, yeah, I don't really, I know the catechism, not so much, so I'm not an expert. No, we do it with things like movies or, you know, anything we like, you know, a, a website or whatever we tell people about. It. But, um, but we, we're just hesitant to do that about our faith. I don't know what it is. I think we've got to get over that and just share from our personal experience first. We're not teaching them. We're not experts. We're not representing the whole church. I'm telling you about my faith and why that's important to me. Yeah, that's really great advice. Um, and Bishop, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I found this to be a very joyful conversation. I hope other people will too. We do have one final question for you that we ask all of our guests. And that is if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? Oh, my goodness. Um, I would say, um, wow, wow. I, you didn't give me any chance to think about this. <laughs> For me, it's Dorothy Day. Dorothy, I was, uh, I was a, uh, and she is, she's on the road. It's, it's, it's going to be a rocky road for her, but um, to, to be canonized because um, she, uh, you know, was anarchist, communist, everything, had an abortion. But she inspired the Catholic Worker Movement, and uh, I was I worked in a Catholic Worker House in Phoenix for seven years. Can you talk about um, what you did there, just real quick? Um, absolutely, I was the director of a large soup kitchen there and, and homeless shelter. Um, we served five hundred meals every night, but then during the day it was just basically basic needs for anyone who, who was in need: water, ice, boots, uh, clothing, laundry, bathrooms, showers, etc. All day. Uh, just trying to meet people where they are and give them some dignity as well as the basic necessities of life. And for Dorothy Day, it was just that, you know, it's just one person at a time bringing the gospel to them. And so I'm really inspired by her and I want her more and more people to know who she is and to receive her intercession as well. All right. She's a, she's a fan a, a fan favorite on this show. So we won't make you choose another one since you have such a real personal connection to her. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, I am, I'm curious, though. Are there any other bishops who have worked or lived in a Catholic worker house before? I'm sure there are. but yeah. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I don't mean that in like a, oh, yeah. you can tell. But right. no, I think, I think that is probably a pretty unique experience. I guess last... Real last question, like, how do you take that experience with you in your ministry at, at the diocesan level? You know, a couple of things. One, um, not to sound dramatic, but it was quite dramatic there, working there, you know, every day, just drugs and violence and prostitution and everything else. And that was just the staff. No, I'm kidding. Oh, kidding. I was saying, I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. But I mean, just to be serious, you know, that was all around us every day. It was really, it's, it's, people romanticize it, but it's very difficult. But because of that, this sounds very funny. It's just the first thing that came to my mind when you asked is, I know how to take a punch now. And I don't just mean a physical punch, but when you have someone who is mentally ill um, raging at you, and that happens a lot, you know, again, I don't want to over romanticize that work, that ministry. It's very difficult, very awesome. But And so, you know, now when someone writes me or they say, I'm so outraged that my pastor moved that table to the other side of the sanctuary. It's been there for 38 years, you know, and I demand that he move it back. And I just want to say, you know, let's, we're going to get through this. I think, I think we're going to be okay. It's given me a perspective where, you know, you can push back a little bit and say, is this really something that, that is outrageous, you know, or, or is this just a bummer? It's probably just a bummer. We're going to get through this. Yeah. Well, 
this interview has not been a bummer and your pastoral is not pastoral nice. letter is not a bummer. Um, and again, it's called sharing the gift. We're linking to it in these show notes and we're going to put links everywhere to it. Uh, Bishop, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, anything else you want to or need to plug right now? <laughs> no, just uh, anytime. I love doing stuff like this. Again, I'm not the most intellectual, that's for sure. And so um, neither way, I, that's okay. <laughs> but I love to be able just, just to share the faith in any way I can. So. Awesome. Well, thanks for doing that with us today. Great. God bless you all. Leave it all behind Let it all go It's not worth it anymore It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now it's time for As One Friend Speaks to Another, the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding God in our lives. And this week we're going to talk about uh, praying the Our Father. I'm sure most people listening to this show uh, know how to say the Our Father. Don't want to presume. Yeah, so but maybe case, not. <laughs> in case you don't, it's, uh, I'm kidding, I won't. I won't. <laughs> but you might not know, because I didn't know, that the, like throughout the history of the church, people, saints, scholars, have you know, kind of rewritten the Our Father in their own words. And Nathan Schneider, who's been on our show before, I mean, he writes regularly for America, wrote a feature article titled, Have Catholics Been Praying the Our Father All Wrong? And he kind of gets into this history. Um, and I, I was kind of challenged and, I don't know, just felt made excited by the possibilities that this article brought to the surface. What was the, what was the challenging part? Well, you? the challenging part is, so I read this and... and you know, the thought came into my mind, like, oh, it'd be kind of cool if, like, on Jesuitical, we each, like, me and Zach each wrote our own Our Fathers, uh, you know, put our own spin on it. And then as soon as I thought that, I was like, I would I would hate to do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, one, I'm a perfectionist about, like, writing. And so, like... Just writing? It, just, just writing, just writing you're a writing perfectionist? And, and maybe about being a Catholic. Uh, a very, like... A, failing perfectionist i will say failing perfectionist the best kind <laughs> yeah um so i was like this sounds ho horrible it's like being if i was assigned to like write a poem i would like cry and i feel the same way about writing prayers like i feel like i'm never gonna have the 
perfect words to say or the right words to say. And especially when you're like messing with something as venerable and old as the Our Father that's literally in the Bible, like why would I touch that? Well, I find this interesting because you're both a professional writer and a professional Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and pray talker about her mm -hmm, uh so mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, what, what's interesting about nathan's article um and i don't think i really grasped this either is that um it's not that you know the translation that most of us grew up with the uh, thou and thighs hallowed hallowed trespass. Um, yeah it's not that it's like wrong but it's it's certainly not as old as we think it is and it's certainly not as close to the original prayer that jesus taught as you know we might we might think it to be and so there really is some some room to uh some room to play with here um particularly with you know i've all you i've always heard that jesus saying abba is different than you know father father is very formal for us yeah, and it's much more, more like just like papa papa yeah um and it does kind of cause some like oh this would be exciting to do i grew up in a totally different environment where you, like writing your own prayer, coming up with your own prayer yeah, was just, just more normal. Maybe that was like the youth group background I had, but I imagine it was not for you. No, yeah. We were we were all all scripted prayers. Scripted <laughs> all prayers the way. only. Yeah. We had, you know, the grace before meal was, you know, the standard one, our father, Hail Mary, you know, that was it. And so the idea even like you know, we have small masses here in America where we're given a chance to, you know, voice our petitions. And I just get so nervous about saying those correctly. But I would say even, you know, like if I thought about, you know, on my own time, just like writing my own Our Father that only God would see, even that I do feel like kind of squeamish about, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know why. Like, is God really going to judge me for not <laughs> praying for I'll let you answer your own question. <laughs> of course not. Okay. <laughs> but it's also, it's more that it's just like not a, I don't know, idiom. I don't know if that's the right word. An idiom I'm used to. I, I am more used to like the type of prayer where it's, you know, you say the re repetitive words and it kind of just shuts your brain down a little bit and lets you, and, and I feel like the other type of prayer like does the opposite for me where I'm doing the prayer, but then at the same time critiquing the prayer. <laughs> You're just like thinking about the performance of yeah, prayer yeah. itself. Mm -hmm. mm. And it's hard because, you know, the segment of the show is with the hope that you can talk to God as one friend speaks to another, um, which, you know, the worst conversations are when you're thinking about what you're saying and how someone's receiving it and what is being, you know, you obviously want to have that in mind to some degree, but when you're just like obsessing over it, it really prevents like real interaction from happening and real encounter from happening. So I, I, I sympathize with you too, because even though I'm like more comfortable saying like maybe freestyling a prayer out loud. What we call here youth pastors. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a youth pastor Zach vibe going. Um, if I'm honest, it is because like, I, I think I am more like, I don't worry about what other people are thinking. I, I'm like, I am confident enough in my ability to spin those words up that I'm like, other people are going to be like, Oh, good prayer, Zach. Yeah. Um, when I'm actually thinking about if I'm just writing a thing to God, it is it's a vulnerable, intimate thing that can be really terrifying. And, you know, there is a stereotype about Catholics not having a personal relationship for a reason. It's yeah. definitely a stereotype and not true. But we do we can't hide uh, into in these like rote prayers um, that to a point that we stop ourselves from really, really going down this path, I think. So homework, I think we decided before this, we're going to we're going to write. So we're going to write our own version of the Our Father, as uh, the article that you referenced earlier recommends, and we're going to we're going to bust them out next week. How's that yeah. sound? 
Sounds horrifying. Terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) But it'll be less scary if the listeners do it with me. (laughs) Yes. So please do. Yeah. So this week, listeners, take, uh, you know, spend some quiet time, sit with our father that you know, maybe write that one out first, and then, you know, try to, you know, move the words around, put them in your own words. Um, We'll link to the article that Nathan wrote in our show notes because it's a really great primer for how to think about this and, you know, gives you some good options. He, he takes a stab at rewriting some of it. So it's, it's some good inspiration, but we, we would love to not be in this endeavor alone. Yes. (laughs) All right. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Kira Hanlon. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loeshert Studio at American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. <laughs>